She's hilarious. So anyway, if you are new, welcome. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes that go into deeper. It goes deeper into what we're talking about, as well as some questions that go deeper. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live and then Events in Uversion. will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes versus questions. All that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for reading of God's Word? It says, Luke chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. And it says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. (laughs) We'll talk about that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being a God that sends us out into the world to proclaim the goodness of who you are. And I ask that we'd be a people who understand more and more of what you mean when you say difficult things in the scriptures that make us say, what in the world? So I ask today we would understand this and we'd be called and understand your great mission in our lives that you walk with us into. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are getting right up to Christmas. Uh, Thanksgiving's next week. I, we're going right into the most wonderful time of the year. I got that song stuck in the back of my head, so we're going to hit that. The series of What in the World is going to take us right up until the week before Christmas Eve. And what in the world are all the questions I still look at in the Bible? And I'm like, what in the world is that there for? Why would Jesus say this? Or why does Paul say this? Or why is that there? A lot of these things are going to come out of Mark and Luke because those are the things I was going through in my own personal devotional time when I was writing these things. And I keep saying it's a good thing it wasn't Romans. Because if you don't know anything about Romans, we would be doing this for like five years. So this is a good place to in the books I was in. And I don't want to make this about me, so we're also giving you the opportunity to ask your what-in-the-world questions. There are three-by-five cards on the communion tables throughout the room, and you can write down your question. You turn it in the, one of the offering boxes or at the welcome station in the back. If you have a smartphone, you can actually scan this with the QR reader in your smartphone right there, and it will take you to a web page. You can type in your own what-in-the-world question, and then next year we'll come back and I will answer Well, me and some of the other elders are going to answer some of your what-in-the-world questions next year. It'll be a whole lot of fun. Because I keep saying, ask me questions about things in the Bible. Don't be like, can you talk about yetis and dragons? Because I can. Because I think they're really like, I like Chewbacca. And my name was Pete. I'd have a dragon. So I can talk about it. But we want Bible questions. So write about Bible questions so we can come back and answer it. Now, today, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to get to this section that I normally just gloss over as I read through it and accept it, but I haven't really ever jumped into it. So there's this thing in here in Luke 10 where Jesus says, if you go someplace and someone doesn't receive you, go into the streets, wipe the dust off like you're publicly condemning that place. This is a little bit strange from Jesus, who is the guy who said, love the world. So it's a great what in the world question. What's Jesus saying here? Now, I know if you're on Facebook, this is your standard mode. Like if someone offends you or your God or more importantly, your political views. Yeah, that's like I am wiping the dust off on Facebook and I'm telling everybody you want all your friends on your bandwagon to like what you say and hate that person. Do you think that's what Jesus meant? Okay, so two of you. That actually was a question. Do you think that's what Jesus meant? Then stop it. I've read some of your pages. Stop it, people. 
Now, as we walk through this, uh, we're going to go each piece as, as we go through it, so we can put it together as a whole in context, because context is always important. So, Luke chapter 10, going to start in verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his vineyard. So you see, first and foremost, everything we talk about is in the context of the proclamation of what is called the gospel. Jesus is going to do all of this in what is considered an, an agricultural context. I, when I first got married, I worked on a farm. I was moving sprinkler pipe. It was not fun. If you've ever done it, you know it is like the worst job in the world. After working there for months, I still know nothing, nothing about crops or farming or things like that. If you want to know about that, ask my stepdad Jim or the Mahoney's. They're farmers. They know figures and seasons and cycles and harvest and planting. All I know is water makes things grow. That's all I got. That's all I got. Unless you're a weed, then you grow anyway, which makes me wonder with the drought why we don't just seed our lawns with weeds. Then they'd be green all year long and the neighborhood animals would want to, when they want to pee on them, they get stickers in their feet and then they'd stop doing it and... It's my tangent, whatever. But anyway, so Jesus talks about this in terms of harvest time, agriculture. Everything is starting to grow. Like the fields around here, they plant them. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's like, boom, one week it's all ready to go and all ready to be harvested. So Jesus says, pray that people, God's children, those who claim to know who he is, will go out into the harvest and reap the fruit. He says there's a lot of people out there who need to know the hope and the goodness and the grace of the gospel, but so few people who will tell and talk about about and live that good news out. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And even when I start talking about this, some of you get like heart palpitations, you break out in cold sweats. I got to tell somebody about Jesus? Well, the answer is yes, you do and you should, but but that's gotten very skewed today. Some people think telling other people about Jesus is with these little pamphlets they call tracks, and you got to go door to door or stick them in people's car or accost people as they walk in the mall. If anybody goes in the mall anymore, except for the movies, I don't know, but accost them when they walk in the mall. That's not harvesting, that's being annoying. That's being annoying. Some of you are like, I'll invite somebody out to lunch so you can talk at them the entire time. That is not harvesting. That is having an agenda. What does Jesus do? Jesus spends his time with 12 disciples. He develops relationships. He also spends time with 72 disciples. And in the end, because of his relationship with them, he will send them all out to proclaim this good news of who he is and what he is doing. And they all take a portion of their time and their lives to go. We don't even know most of their names, but they go out. It says, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So they go in teams. They're not alone. Two, two is a great way to go. You can talk with somebody, you can hang out, you can develop a relationship. Also helps keep you accountable. But in the pattern of the Bible, whenever a truth was spoken, it needed two witnesses. So that's why you see him sitting them out two by two. Gospel communities, that element that we do here, we, we try to do these around what is called shared leadership. 
So there's different people doing these things together, coming together, ministry as a team. But the most important thing you must see at the beginning of this is what we talked about the entire book of Acts, is that they were sent. They went out. Jesus sends them out. Our God is ascending God. God sends Jesus as our Redeemer into human history to rescue and save and redeem us. He is an example of sending. In John 20, verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them again, so he said it before because they're just like us. We don't get it. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus comes into a time and a place and a culture and an area to bring the love and the life of God. And he does the same thing. He calls us to go out and do the exact same thing. He sends them. Now, believe it or not, Christians can be selfish and don't want to go where God calls them. Shocker, right? <gasps> really? Yes, yes. Here's the big question. How big do you think a harvest could actually be if God's people were actually out living on mission with and for him? See, we don't know because we don't do it. <laughs> and our, our lives are meant to become oriented towards Jesus and what he's calling us to. When he calls, then he sends us right back out. And there are things that we will need to learn in, things that we will need to grow. We don't have all the answers, but we know we're sent because he has saved us, and so he has sent us. These words are about Jesus taking us and sending us to people that don't know who he is. Our lives have purpose when they're found in him. We are not to be a people who turn the church into a place where our perceived needs get met, but a place where people can learn to live on mission to meet Jesus and go out. We want to train people and teach people to go and bring the life of Jesus into all of your spaces, into your homes, into your workplaces, your neighborhoods, your schools, wherever it is. And you get to be part of the celebration of that harvest. In ancient times, harvest wasn't about, did I cut the fruit correctly? Did I say the right things? Did I wear the right shoes? And I'm wearing the right outfit? How do I look? Is it about fashion? No. No, it's about joy and life and food and the fullness that God has given us. The harvest is plentiful. But we need more workers because there's so much of it. This is the understanding that God wants people outward focused, not selfward focused all upon ourselves. He wants us loving people that don't know him. He wants us loving our cities. He wants us to have a heart desire that brings the love and the truth of Jesus to those who need him. When he says the harvest is plentiful, that means that God is already at work in people. You can trust him that he is already doing his work. It is Jesus who draws people in. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who says, I led this many people to the Lord. I'm, I'm like, you're a dummy. You didn't lead anybody to the Lord. It's Jesus who does the work. Come on. We're supposed to be a humble people. Understand? And, that, and what that does is that gives you so much freedom in how you talk about Jesus. Because it's not you always happen to say the right words or do the right thing. It's God has simply sent me. And I tell my story of what he has done. And I invest in people and I serve others. And you let God do his work because he is the Lord of the harvest. And we go out. And when people believe, we in humbleness get to be part of the harvest. And it's beautiful. Proclamation of the gospel. What's the gospel? It's like, don't ask me that question. I don't know what to say. The gospel is the word that was chosen by Jesus because it meant something specific. In the early church, it was a way to express something. A gospel was good news. It was news about an objective history-changing event that everybody had to deal with in their lives. It changed everybody's situation. Everybody had to respond to it. When Augustus became emperor of Rome, A document went out in Greek that starts like this. This is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. 
It is a declaration that Augustus had ascended the throne and, was, and this was sent out. And heralds took it everywhere and they proclaimed the gospel of Caesar Augustus. So when Jesus says, proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is that? It is the news of the major history-changing event that affects everybody. That God is making all things new, even us. That God is calling us as a people to go out and be on mission with him. That he has redeemed us, he has rescued us from our ways of life that were falling apart. And he has restored us to relationship with him. That God saved us. And part of that is our sending that we're sent out. If you want to see people healed, if you want to see people break the chains of things that hold them down in their lives, then you want to see people know Jesus. We are sent out into the harvest. And what's the most amazing, I think really cool about this, is Jesus says, it actually works. Go figure, right? <gasps> Jesus said something, and it actually, it actually works. How does he say to start this? He says, pray. That's where he starts. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Talk with God about where he's sending you, who we want you to talk to, friends, family, coworkers. Pray for Element as a church, because we need it. <laughs> so pray for us. Pray for the gospel communities here, that places of growth and accountability and encouragement and sending. Pray for wisdom and guidance. Then, then we would sit quiet long enough to listen to what God says, and then we would go. Jesus sends them into a very specific type of ministry and includes different things. I was reading different commentaries on this, and I think I'm different than everybody. I think Driscoll said it's like four do's and four don'ts. Keller says it's three things, message, ministry, and motivation. I actually think there's five things, so I'm the oddball. Okay, so I'm going to go through these five things with the verses that are here as we walk through it. So number one, he says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So what you first see is he said, there's going to be wolves out there. There's going to be wolves out there, so I want you to keep an eye out. We are a people who are called, in the scriptures, sheep. Sheep. We're called sheep. That's a bit of a warning when he says there's wolves out there. 1 Peter 5, uh, 5.4 says Jesus is our chief shepherd. He also places under shepherds underneath him, and so pastors and churches are meant to be under shepherds. We believe our gospel community leaders are shepherds over their gospel communities. We believe that parents are called to be shepherds over their families, but we're all under the chief shepherd who is Jesus. The church is a flock. Christians are sheep. Wolves are those who want to come in. They want to eat the sheep. And again, this goes to an agricultural, it's a rural way of thinking, so everybody hearing this in that culture would understand exactly what he was saying. For us, that would mean that there are people in your life that want to compromise, get you to compromise your faith. Uh, Acts 20, verse 30 says, From among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things, to draw away disciples after them. So as sheep, we are called to be people who are sent out, and give to each other by serving each other. Wolves come in. What do wolves want to do? They want to hunt, and they want to take. This is why it's good to be in a community with other people, and especially with shepherds, because shepherds are supposed to chase off the wolves, and if that doesn't work, to shoot them. Metaphorically. Maybe. Okay. So, what I want you to do is give me your best sheep noise. You are so quick with that, man. <laughs> it's like, I'm first! I'm the first sheep. Okay, everybody, you hear it again? All right, all right. So when I do this, I want you to give me the noise. Because a lot of times when I think of this and sheep and shepherds and, and all that, well, sheep, we don't think the wolves really want to eat us. We think the, the, that Jesus doesn't know what, he, what he's talking about. It happens too often, especially in relationships. Like some of you are like, oh, man, but she's hot or, or he's cute. Do they love Jesus? I don't know. You know what I hear? Oh, you let me down. <laughs> I was like, it's, there you go. 
You're married, and an old boyfriend or girlfriend approaches you on email or Facebook, and you think it's a good idea to accept a friend request. You know what I hear? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what I hear. Some of you guys read books by Christian authors who tell you that God's will for your life is to be wealthy and He just wants to give you everything you want. You know what I hear? Exactly. That's really good, by the way. God wants us to be a people who are holy. God, some of you think that nagging or berating your spouse is going to make them love you more. You know what I hear? That's exactly what I hear. I hear, bah! We are always thinking some stupid thing is a good idea. And in that moment, we just prove that we are exactly like sheep. We need trusted people in our lives to come around us, uh, people to hold us accountable, trusted leaders in our churches who can point out the wolves. And we should trust leaders who have shown themselves to be trustworthy. Don't just trust anybody who claims they're a leader. Make sure they're actually trustworthy and not wolves themselves. How do you know? Wolves are typically very insecure because they want people to follow them. And when you follow them, they'll lead you to a place where they can usually devour you. Uh, Wolves are people who use godly things in ungodly ways to stop the forward progress of the gospel. Moral wolves want you to compromise your principles. Theology wolves want you to make, want to make you bigger in your own eyes and God smaller. Oh, God can't live without you. No, God can live without us. God's just good enough that he comes and he saves us because he himself is good. They always want to shrink God smaller than he is. They take the plain teachings of scripture and they call them into question. If it doesn't sound right, it's probably not right. If I ever preach to you or talking about something, you go, that just didn't sound right. Come and ask me. I would love to talk to you about it if I said something really dumb or not. Like after last service, I was talking to John G. He goes, you need to explain this better in your message because it sounded bad. And I go, okay, got it. So you're not even going to notice, but I'm going to do it better this service, you know, in this. You know, this, this is the idea that we must understand. Power wolves want to come in. They want power for themselves. They have nobody who holds them accountable in their life because they don't want anybody near them. I, I, in my life, I am part of a gospel community, but I am not my gospel community leader. I have willingly placed myself under somebody else as my gospel community leader, so I have accountability. We have other elders here, and we are in accountability, in account, accountable to one another because we need that accountability. We are people who sit in a world of wolves, but we are watched over by our great shepherds. So we proclaim the gospel, going out knowing we might get attacked, but ultimately our loves and our lives are all in his hands. So we trust what he has said over what wolves say. And if you have a crazy, self-righteous person who claims to be a Christian, but they encourage you to sin all the time, I want you to call them a wolf and go get a shepherd and we will shoot them. (laughs) Metaphorically. Maybe. Number two. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. He will go on to receive, say, receive whatever income God gives you. Now, because of our culture, we think, oh, don't take credit cards or cash and don't plan, and God's going to work on someone. They're going to take care of us. Again, these words have confused a lot of people today. This also could be our what in the world of the thing. But in, in Jesus' day, this culture, this agricultural culture, was based upon hospitality. If a visitor showed up into your town, you would know that because the towns were small and it was somebody's job to go out and get them and bring them into their home and take care of them in our day there is no way to know when someone new shows up into town and secondly when someone new shows up in the city you may not want them in your home what jesus is talking about here is the urgency of the gospel that's what he was talking about that's actually number two up there evan if you want to 
He's talking about the urgency of the gospel in this. That you need to go, and this is something that gets shared with other people. That you're not saying, oh, i got to pack, and i got to do this. And Jesus is like, no, 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 just get out and go. Because then he says, and greet no one on the road. You might think, hey, Jesus says I can be rude to everybody. No, no, in this context, when disciples of different rabbis would greet each other on the road, they would have these hours of Hebraic greetings, and Jesus is like, that is stupid. Don't do that. The gospel is urgent. Go and share the gospel. Don't get hung up in all of these other little things. Don't let that fruit sit too long on the branch. Go to the harvest. Sometimes we know that we're supposed to have a gospel-centered conversation with somebody in our lives. And yet we will spend hours talking about Star Wars or a TV show or a video game or politics and never get to the meat of the gospel we knew we were supposed to be talking about in the first place. Jesus says the gospel is urgent. Share it. Go. Be out there. Before that person's world implodes and they look at you and wonder why you never spent time with them talking about the God that you said you love and has saved you. Number three. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Now, again, this is agricultural context, different culture in which we live. But it's telling you, be a person that brings peace, no matter where you go. This is a great thing in our current political climate. Be a person that brings peace. Well, you do that by speaking the truth of the gospel. Now, we live in a different culture, so let me try and put it in a way that might help you. Uh, How do you treat the waiter or waitress at a restaurant that just cannot seem to get your food right? How do you treat them? How do you treat the coworker, maybe where you're at, that you know is just talking about you behind your back? How do you treat them? How do you treat a friend who maybe has said something to you that you took very offensively, and they may have no idea that it came out offensively, but you just took it and you hold on to that, and you, don't, and you start to break relationship? How do you treat those people around you? We are called to be a people who bring peace. Jesus says, live with the gospel so centered in your life that where you go, you're a, you're a presence that brings peace wherever you go. Let it settle, settle into your life and your conversation. I also think it's like he's saying, and develop gospel-centered communities in people's homes when they believe the gospel. He says, do not go from house to house. And that's kind of funny, because how long might these people have been believers at this point? Hours? Days? And Jesus says, they're good to go. I love that. I love that. Why? Because people who meet Jesus, they have a story to tell. They have a message. That message is peace with God and man. That's the message of Christmas right there. The angels go. They find these stinky, smelly shepherds out in the fields that everybody else would have looked down upon. In Luke 2, 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's who he says, what he says to the shepherds. Number four, verse eight. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. What that means is you seek the salvation of everyone. Part of the way you do that is by being thankful what is set before you. And if you know me, you might think that's really funny because I don't eat anything that's set before me. Okay? When my gospel community has dinners, I'm always like, make whatever you want. If I don't like it, I'll find something else. Because I'm not picky, I'm easy. I like two things. Chicken and rice. That, that's, like, that's like all I eat. I don't know why I'm still living. But anyway, that's, that, that's what I seem to eat. Now, I'll tell you, though, sometimes I have been in foreign countries. It, so my wife is there. I try and pawn it off on her plate. But 
I've been in countries where she hasn't been. And I will tell you, I have eaten food in foreign countries because, it was set before me because I think God has called me to honor the people in front of me. I have eaten chicken vertebrae. I've eaten goat brains. I have eaten something that I swear is bodily excrement of some sort. And I just smiled and I grinned and I choked it down because I want to honor these people because they're made in the image of God so that the gospel can be proclaimed. Healing the sick is about making the invisible kingdom visible. Keller, talking about another verse, says, Preach means persuading of the truth. Cast out demons means to liberate people's souls from what is enslaving them. And heal the sick means to actually mend bodies and communities. So you pray for others. You make the announcement the kingdom of God has come here, that God wants to love you and save you, even in your worst situation. And then you pray for them. So other people would see God's kingdom come to life in their life because of how we are living in their lives. And number five, verse 10. But whenever you enter a town that do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So that's where my what in the world comes in. And it's very important to understand that this, again, is in an agricultural context. That's what these things are being told in. The harvest. Go out, get the fruit. It's going to be amazing. And so when, we, when I talk about low-hanging fruit, that's not a derogatory term. That's a way of saying it where people's hearts are at. Jesus is saying there's some people who are ready for the gospel right here and now. And he's saying there's lots of times that we go after unripened fruit or rotten fruit. We're pulling out the ladder. We're climbing to the top of the tree. We're yanking on this fruit and it's not ready to come off. So God says go for the low-hanging fruit, the stuff that's ready. If you walk up to somebody and you say, hey, you want to know about Jesus? And they go, F off. Be like, okay. You go to somebody else, hey, you want to know? I don't care. Okay. Harvest time is about finding the fruit that's right in front of you. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, can I have a Bible? Low-hanging fruit. Okay? Get them a Bible. If you can't afford one, we will. Element has tons of Bibles. We will give you one. Don't get them wet because I'm like a 4th of July snake. They just go, and like, because they're really cheap. But, but they're free, and we'll give them to you. You can give them to them. Somebody's life falls apart, and they start asking you for help low-hanging fruit. Step into their life and love them. Present the gospel. Harvest the easy stuff first. Let God do the work on the harder ones. I'm not, and, and he's not saying that that's not through you, because it could be through you, because he's not saying ignore them, but go for the low-hanging stuff fruit. Who in your life, if you invited them to a church service with you, or to a gospel community event, or maybe out to dinner with your family, they would actually go. Invite them. Invite them. That's simple, and, and it's easy. Is there anyone, if you gave a Bible to, they might actually read it? Give them one. Give them one. And you will find opposition in some places, and some wolves will want to attack you, but you will also run into this low-hanging fruit that's right in front of you. Jesus says, whenever you enter a town and, and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. This is not about being offended. This is not, oh, how dare you say this to me. It's about speaking the truth. I was going to do this whole thing about the difference between truth and being offended with you, like a little game. But then I figured, one, I didn't have time. And two, you'd all be offended because you're all too easily offended. And that's the truth. (laughs) So I'm not. But kicking the dust off is, like I said, it's not Facebook shaming or friend shaming where you post something. All your friends go, yeah, poor you. That person you burn in hell. That's not what this is about. Do you have a friend that you talk about Jesus to and they want to argue with you about everything all the time? Pray for them, love them, kick the dust off and go find somebody else to talk to you. Do you have someone in your life that opposes and rejects everything you want to say about Jesus? Well, don't get mad. 
Don't get offended. Pray for them. Love them. Still be involved in their life, but kick the dust off and go invest in somebody else. Kicking the dust off is not, oh, you're going to burn, and you'll see I was right, and then you'll be sorry. That's not what kicking the dust off. Kicking the dust off only works when you trust that God is the one who is doing the calling, and God is working in people's lives, not you. Invest your time in people who are close to belief or new believers who are struggling. And if you don't have anybody like that in your life, talk to the elders here. Talk to a gospel community leader. We will connect you with somebody. But you yourself need to be in a gospel community so you can connect them to other people. Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Kicking the dust off, even in that, you still remind them. The kingdom of God is near. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to love you. And you tell them that in the midst of it. He says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town, the community that rejects the grace of Christ. Why is that? I think it's because Sodom as a town was destroyed in the Old Testament. That people who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, they'll live the rest of their lives in a hell of their own making. They're always going to find something that doesn't measure up, and their lives are going to implode now and forever. Jesus is just speaking truth like he always does. I think one of the reasons that a lot of people refuse to acknowledge Jesus is people hate change. People just do not want, we want everything comfortable in our lives, how it always has been, even if that is, we just keep imploding all the time. Well, at least I'm used to it. <laughs> at least I know what, right? we, we, we hate change. But Jesus comes in and our lives change. Everything in our lives is actually meant to be about change. One writer says it this way, you're either growing or you're dead. There you go. Two states that we're in. The gospel is the proclamation that Jesus brought change that saves us. And when we understand that, we are all sent. Now, when he sends out these 72 people, commentators will tell you that readers would understand the significance of this because most people had the book of Genesis memorized. I know, crazy to think of, but they had it, had it memorized. In Genesis 10, there's this thing called the Table of Nations. And a list of all the nations on the earth, and there's 72. It's not that there was just 72. This is a metaphorical number way of saying complete, a complete number of nations. And Jesus is saying it's not just the 12 disciples that were sent. It's all of them, the 72, and they are sent to all nations. That's what he's saying. It's not just leaders. It's not just pastors. It's all of us. The word sin comes from this Latin root, mission. Mission. Those who come into contact with Jesus, every disciple is on mission. This means that we're to know Jesus intimately, not from far away, that he enters our lives with intimacy, and we can be healed, and we can be blessed. Jesus calls us in. At the very same time he calls us in, he sends us right back out. In the Old Testament, God goes to a guy named Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you. Why? So that you can be a blessing to other people. God goes to Moses, and he says, Moses, I'm going to heal you and restore you, and I'm going to send you out. And you're going to go back to Pharaoh and talk to him. He takes a guy named Isaiah and he says, I'm going to heal the sin on your lips. I'm going to get rid of all of your guilt. Now, go and preach the good news of what God is doing. Keller writes that Jesus says this to us. I want you to reweave the fabric of the world where it is ripping or where it is fraying. I want you to get out and I want you to meet their needs and fill their hearts so they can do the same thing. The harvest is about us going out and talking about who Jesus is by showing what he has done in our lives. It's from the words that we say, but it's from the peace that we also bring because of the peace that he brought us into every conversation, every life we come into contact with. Because our God has brought peace. So we go and we bring peace. And we speak about that peace that we bring in the person of Jesus. Again, I think that all of us have low-hanging fruit in our lives somewhere. And that's not a derogatory term. It's an agricultural term to understand. 
what he's talking about. There are probably people in your life that you don't even know are low-hanging fruit, and they're right in front of you. We should be people that start to pray that God would reveal those people to us so that we could talk about the goodness of Jesus. And again, it's, it's not the awkward conversation of, how about Jesus and those Dodgers? It's, it's you have your conversation, you, you develop relationships, you, you talk about because if Jesus is important to you, then it should be something that comes out in your conversation. Why are you different? Why do you live differently? Why, do you, why when people get all freaked out and worry, you're not so worried, or maybe you are? <laughs> how, do you, how do you trust Jesus in all these circumstances? Well, this is how and this is why. We get to speak of the good news of what he's done. This is part of the reminder of communion, why we do it every single week. You break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because we are a people who are far off. And at one point, God worked on our hearts and made us low-hanging fruit. And when we believed Jesus' body and blood is the thing that's, that took away all that separated us from God and us from one another. We, at one point, were low-hanging fruit, if you're a believer. Maybe you're low-hanging fruit this morning. Maybe people would love to pray with you this morning, by the way. Uh, the band's going to come up. And as they do, there will be some deacons in the back. And, and if you do want to know more about Jesus, they would love to pray with you about that. Again, low-hanging fruit isn't a derogatory term. It's this idea of things in a harvest where God is working on your heart. And if God is working on your heart, they would love to pray with you and talk to you about Jesus. Uh, if you are somebody who maybe is struggling with really anything in your life, they'd also love to talk to you about that. Really, where's my bass player? He's supposed to carry So I don't look like a girl when i got to go, Ugh! It's the bass player's job to move this. John Warren, you should just ran up here and done it. <laughs> I don't know where Jason went. Um, oh, there he is. There he is. <laughs> you guys don't see half the stuff that goes on in this room, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so if you need prayer, they would love to pray about anything, especially the goodness and the grace of the gospel. We'd love to sign you up for a, an agape and a, uh, to meet a gospel community, to connect a little bit better in things. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side of all in the back, and we give because our God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of that worship, so you have that opportunity every week. There's food in the back. Grab some to eat, but don't gorge too much because we do want you guys to go into Gopi today. Uh, and remember, remember that our God has rescued and saved us, that he sends us out and do the harvest, and it's meant to be a joyful thing. It's not meant to scare the pants off you every time you've got to say the name Jesus. It's meant to be a joyful thing of what God has actually done. And if you don't know the answer to something, that's okay. You tell your story. You can go find the answer if you don't know the answer to some question somebody wants to ask. But you get the joy of telling the great story of what God has done in you. Because our God is good. And he has sent us into the harvest. God could have just done it all. But he doesn't. He works with his people so we would understand the goodness of mission, the goodness of working, the goodness of understanding the harvest and seeing how God changes lives around us. That is how good he is. And we are a people who need to remember that we are sent into that harvest. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would teach us this morning how to be a people who continue to live in your grace and your goodness, proclaiming the good news of the history-changing event that you have come into the world to rescue, to redeem, and to save. That nothing in our lives have to ever be the same. I ask for those in this room who are afraid of change that instead they'd begin to embrace it for the joy that you bring. I ask that you would move us to a place where we understand the sentness 
the living on mission with and for you, the going out, the proclamation of the gospel, that it's not tracks and it's not staying on top of our desk in a workplace and it's not a bullhorn on a street corner. It's connected relationships. Speaking of the goodness of who you are and that we would be those who truly care about one another. I ask that you would reveal the low-hanging fruit in our lives, the friends around us who want to know you and the security and the peace that you bring because you are the only secure thing in this world. Teach us to trust you and to love you, to live on mission with you in your strength, honoring you in all that we do. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.